Our text comes from Ephesians chapter number 5. Ephesians chapter 5, I'm going to begin reading in verse number 21. The scripture says, and further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now this is the backdrop to the text. If we don't start here, we'll think that God is one-sided, but God is an equal, equal opportunity role giver, okay? And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head or the covering of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means what means? This mutual submission thing, right? For husbands, this means love your wives Just as Christ loved the church, he gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feels and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. We are members of his body. As the scripture says, a man will leave his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband." Today we are continuing with our series, Perfect Relationships or Anything But, and we are talking or continuing to talk about the most perfectly imperfect relationship that there is, the marriage relationship. It's imperfect because of the clear and often misunderstood differences between men and women. So different are men and women that the statement men are from Mars and women are from Venus resonates with everyone that hears it. Somebody told me at the beginning of the service, you know, we have like little orbits on Mars, but we don't even have a stop sign on Venus. Here was their point. We can reach Mars, but we can't get all the way to Venus. Anyway, that's another subject for another day. But we're talking about these differences. And last week we talked about the differences in women, understanding women. We called the message, her name is Venus. Teaching fellas how to meet the needs of their wives. And if you weren't here last week, you need to go back. You need to make a commitment to your wife, to your family, that you're going to go and listen to that particular message. Because some of y'all didn't show up because of the snow. Not because you you couldn't get here, but because you used it as an excuse to stay home and sleep in. Am I telling the truth? No? Okay. You love me? You'll be here in church even if it's snowing next time? Okay, good. Anyway, today we're going to deal with the second part of this, the part that talks about how to understand these creatures from another planet called men. And so today's message is called, His Name is Mars, but not Bruno. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, Would you speak to our hearts? Would you make this message real to us so we can understand each other and have the marriages that you've called us to have? In Jesus' name we pray. You may be seated. You know, one of the things we said um, at the beginning of the message last week is we said that the reason why we have so much of this nonsense happening in our society has really little to do with the things that we know we need to fix. We need to fix our laws and all that kind of stuff. 
But the reason why we have all of these outbursts in our society, these shootings and different things like that, is because of the breakdown or the deterioration of the family. I could bore you with the statistics on the impact of fatherlessness, but it is enormous. And so we have these young people who are acting out and demonstrating in different ways because they never had the grounding that God wants us to have in our families. And so the heartbeat of last week and this week is to help restore the number one relationship in families, which is the marriage relationship. Because as the marriage relationship is strong, the families will be strong. And as families are strong, society will be strong. If we fix everything else, but we leave the family broken, it doesn't really matter what we do. Society is still going to be all messed up. And so today we want to launch into talking about how do you meet the needs of a man? What is it about these creatures from another planet named men? Ladies, I feel your pain. It's difficult to understand men, isn't it? And the reason is we are kind of like the flip phone version and you are the smartphone version. Kind of answers the question, why did men, why did God make men first? Because you need a rough copy before you can have the final copy. Amen. It isn't easy understanding men, ladies. I feel your pain. We, pain, we refuse to ask for directions when we get lost, don't we? It kind of explains why it takes one million sperm to fertilize an egg. They don't stop and ask for any directions. It isn't easy understanding us men. We are inconsiderate. It answers the question, how many men does it take to put a toilet seat down? Answer, I don't know. It's never happened. It isn't easy understanding us men. We're not as smart as we pretend to be. This one lady talks about her husband. She said, one day my housework challenged husband decided to wash his own sweatshirt. He entered into the laundry room and he shouted to me, what setting do I put the washing machine on? She said, it depends. What does your shirt say? He said, University of Connecticut. And we think that blondes are dumb, right? It isn't easy understanding us men. Somebody said, what do you call a good-looking, intelligent, and sensitive man? It's a rumor. You don't call him anything. (laughs) I thought the answer to the question was Frank Santora, but it's not about me today. Is it easy putting up with us guys, is it? You know, one woman prayed this. She said, dear Lord, I pray for wisdom to understand my man, love to forgive him, patience for his moods, because Lord, if I pray for strength, I'm going to beat him to death. Amen. And we think we got the short end of the stick. You know how that works. Adam is in the garden and he's looking all lonely and depressed. And God said, Adam, what's wrong? And and Adam said, well, God, I really don't have anybody to talk to. And God said, I'm going to make you the perfect companion. Adam, you're going to call this little lady woman. She's going to be so pretty. She's going to gather food for you. She's going to cook for you. When you discover clothing, she will wash it for you. She will agree with every decision that you make never nag you. She'll be the first to admit she's wrong. Whenever you have a disagreement, she'll never have a headache. Freely give you love and compassion anytime you need. And Adam said, God, what is a woman like this going to cost? And God said, an arm and a leg. Adam said, what can I get for a rib? We're sticking to that story. That, that's our side of the story. But we know, ladies, that you got the short end of the stick. And But today what I want to do is I want to help you to understand us men. I want us to enter this discussion by just um, recalling some of what we talked about last week. It really is the launching place, the backbone for today's message. The first thing is, remember, all marriages take mutual submission. This whole idea that submission is one-sided is nonsense. Anybody that's been married for any length of time 
knows that in order to have a successful marriage, it requires mutual submission, which is why Ephesians 5.21 begins, submitting yourselves to one another as in reverence to the Lord. And so we need to understand that it takes mutual submission. And what submission really is, is a man submitting himself to love his wife according to her needs, and a woman submitting herself to love her husband according to his needs. And so that's what submission is all about. We also said that the goal of marriage is to fulfill the role that God has asked each of us. God assigns roles in Ephesians. He doesn't ascribe rank. Oftentimes when we read the book of Ephesians, we think that God is laying out rank, that God is saying that men are better than women and that, or that women are less than men. But that's not what God is doing here. He's not assigning rank. He's giving us roles, roles that he knows if we will fulfill for each other, we will have successful marriages and families. And so we always have to remember that, that God knows that we're all equal in terms of our value in his eyes. We're equal in terms of our standing before God. We are both redeemed with the same precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We both have the ability to be used of God for his special purposes in the same way. Uh, Paul was a man. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Mary was a woman. She gave birth to the Messiah. Both equally important in, in, in God's plan of redemption and God's plan for man. But it is not our equality that we need to understand. And that's what is happening in our society. We are fighting for these equalities. We need to understand our differences. And when we understand our differences, and we seek to minister to each other in those areas where we are different. That's where the family unit becomes strong. That's where marriages become healthy. That's where society begins to change and we have less of the craziness going on. And so I want to begin today by talking about the four basic needs of a man. And we are going to use the planet that we are from Mars as an acrostic to understanding and remembering the four basic needs of men. The first basic need of every man is to have a managed household. Man have, men have an intrinsic va- uh, 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 need to have their homes managed. And um, this is something that, that men tend to need in order to function at highest capacity. Their home needs to be a place of refuge. It needs to be a place of serenity, if you will. And this is a gift that my wife Lisa has given to me for 24 years. The last 24 years of our lives have been the best 24 years of her life. I promise you that. Well, she's given me this amazing gift over 24 years. And this gift that she's given me is, is this gift of our home being a place of serenity, being a, a stress-free environment. For the better part of the 24 years, I would always love to come home. I mean, couldn't wait to come home because I knew that when I got home, it wasn't going to be more stress. It wasn't going to be more headaches. It was going to be an environment of peace. It was going to be an environment of tranquility. And so So because men have this need, whenever God speaks to the ladies, he speaks to the ladies in terms of fulfilling this role of making sure that your husband has a managed household, a managed home. So listen to what he says, Titus chapter number two, beginning in verse three, tell the older women to behave as those who love the Lord should. Now, by the way, incidentally, this is for everybody. There is a way that people who love the Lord should behave. We don't talk about this many much in the body of Christ anymore. 
We kind of, you know, let grace cover everything. doesn't matter, you know, if you're a Christian, you know, you're going to heaven, grace kind of covers you. And if you sin, grace covers you. And if, and if you act wrong, grace covers you. And, and that is true. I, I can't argue with the fact that, that grace doesn't cover all of those things. But when we understand grace as an excuse to live wrong, we are missing something. There's a way that children of God should behave themselves, should conduct themselves. It should be an oddity for children of God to have the same behaviors in their life as people who are not children of God. We need to step up in that area and realize that we are representing the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to let our light shine. And the light gets dim when we let all this other stuff in. And so it begins, and it's talking to ladies, but it applies to everybody. Tell the older women to behave as those who love the Lord should. They should not gossip about others or be slaves to wine. Don't sit around drinking and telling stories about people. They must teach what is proper so the younger women will be loving wives and mothers. And by the way, this generation doesn't see the value in the older generation. There's tremendous value in the older generation. The older generation, you're supposed to school, and notice I said you're supposed to because I'm not in the older generation just yet. I'm kind of tween, you know. I'm kind of like I haven't arrived yet, but I haven't, you know, you know, I don't got any dust on me yet. Anyway, just kidding. You, you're, you're necessary in order to speak into the lives of the younger generation. Without the influence of the older generation, the younger generation will go astray. And so notice it's talking, let the older women teach the younger women how to be loving wives and mothers. Each of the younger women must be sensible and kind, and watch this, as well as a good homemaker who puts her own husband first, then no one can say any insulting things about God's message. What does it mean to be a good homemaker? Men have this intrinsic need to have a managed home, so much so that did you know the word husband comes from that intrinsic need? House band, right? Or house bound. That's where it comes from. So what does it mean to be a good homemaker? And and to me, it's tied up in the following pearl of wisdom. A woman, you've heard this before, is the thermostat of the home. God gives ladies the responsibility of setting the temperature in the home in a way that suits your husband. To me, this goes far beyond cooking and cleaning and doing laundry. Because in our day and age, it's slightly impractical, right? Matter of fact, it is really impractical impractical if both people have full-time jobs outside of the home for all of the cooking and cleaning and laundry to fall on one person, right? And so to me, a managed home goes far and away above that. It goes deeper than just having a personal chef and a maid. That is not what God has called women to be. Managing a home is much different than that. And so ladies, it has everything to do with setting the temperature of that particular home, to set that home in a way that it is a stress-free environment as much as a house can be. I'm going to give you a couple tips. Tip number one, how do you have a managed home? You greet him with grace. In our home, um, when our kids were real young, my wife and I both decided that she would no longer work outside of the home and that she would stay home and raise the children. And by the way, this is not something that surprised us when we had kids, right? It wasn't like, seriously, you're, you're not going to work anymore? We need that money. Seriously, you're not going to stay home with the kids? I thought, I thought this would just, if it shocks you when you get married, you haven't done your job in your dating relationship. In your dating relationship, that's where you're supposed to find out all of what you value and all of how you see life and family. You're supposed to get those things worked out. And if there isn't enough agreement in the dating relationship, then guess what you need to do? 
and that dating relationship and find somebody who is in more agreement with you. I've taught this to you before, but the whole idea that opposites attract is the dumbest thing in the entire world. Marriage is hard enough to have so many things that are different. The more things that you have in common, the easier that marriage becomes. And so my wife and I, we kind of knew that the day was coming when we would have kids. And when we had kids, we knew, we mutually agreed it was our heart's desire. She would tell me all the time that when we have children, I want to stay home and I want to be the primary caregiver for our children. I want to be the one who raises our children when you go out and, and work and bring home whatever it is that we need. And so we agreed upon that. It was our choice together. But one of the things that was absolutely a gift to me was every day when I would come home, it would just be a joy. And the reason why it was a joy is we lived in this little raised ranch and the the garage was underneath the house. And so you would hear the garage door go up. And and, and as soon as I opened the door that let me in the house, I would hear two things. I would hear the the feet of the kids, you know, running on the floor above me. And they would come running. I hear my wife saying, daddy's home, daddy's home, daddy's home. Go kiss him. Go give him a hug. Daddy's home, daddy's home, daddy's home. Can I ask you, who would want to come home to that? I mean, that's just a joy. I mean, I could not wait to come home because she made me feel so welcome in our house and she greeted me with grace every single time. And not only would the kids kiss me and hug me when I got home, she'd always give me a kiss and hug me when I got home. And she'd always say to me, she'd say, okay, dinner's almost ready. Go ahead and get yourself fixed up and get yourself situated and come on out here when you're ready. Now, this was absolutely fabulous for me. I was like, man, I could never do anything to damage this relationship. It didn't make me feel like the boss. It didn't make me expect that of my wife. It didn't make me yell at her if she didn't have dinner ready. It it made me appreciate her. It made me realize what a great woman that I had. She greeted me with grace. She made my environment an environment that I wanted to come home to. She never greeted me with, I can't believe you're late today. Why didn't you call me? And, And you know, you ought to get over here right now and help me with these kids. I'm pulling my hair out all day. Can I ask you a question? Who would want to come home to that? I'm just keeping it real with you. You do that every day, I guarantee you, what's going to happen is he's going to start getting home later and later and later and later and later. And nowadays, you know, both people get home at different times. And the point is, right, greet him with grace. Because men have this intrinsic need to have a managed household, a stress-free environment. They're, they're trying to shake off, and nowadays women are too, but they're trying to shake off all of the stresses of the day. They don't want to walk into a whirlwind. They want to walk into an environment where they feel, oh, okay, this is, this is now relaxed. Greet him with grace. The second thing that my wife always did for me, and it was such a blessing, is she always treated me with respect. Notice verse number 33 says, so again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must treat, must respect her husband. What does it mean to respect your husband? For this, I want to go over to 1 Peter chapter number 3. Turn over there in your Bibles. 1 Peter chapter number 3. Peter gives some advice to wives on how to treat their husbands. Verse number 1 says, wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. That even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. Everybody say without a word. How do you win a man? Without a word. Let me just say it again because it, isn't it foreign to hear this stuff? So they may be won without 
a word. Now watch this. How without a word? By the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on a fine apparel. Notice it says, don't let it be merely those things. It doesn't say don't do those things. Hello? Are you all with me? Ladies, if you're hating on me now, go back and listen to last week. I gave it good to the men last week. Right? It doesn't mean don't fix yourself up. That's not the point of this. I thank God for makeup. Any guys thank God for makeup in the house? And and you might think that's chauvinistic, but I'm going to show you later on why that is not chauvinistic at all for a woman or a man to expect that a woman fixes herself up. Because men are visual creatures, right? It's the way that God has built us. So it says, don't let it be merely that arranging the hair, wearing gold, putting on of apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty, watch this, of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. Notice gentle G and quiet Q. How many of you know men love GQ? You need to give your man some GQ in his life. Gentle and quiet spirit. Now, I was having a little fun with that. But I want you to hear the heartbeat of what God is saying. And ladies, I want to put it to you in a way that you can grab hold of. Here's what God is saying. He's asking the question, how do you get your husband to be the man of God that God wants him to be and that you want him to be? Put another way, how do you get your husband who is not being obedient to God to be obedient to God? That's really the heart of this text. Notice the word obey. The word obey means somebody not obedient, means somebody who is headstrong and obstinate. Any ladies married to a headstrong, obstinate man? Can I see your hand? Any ladies? We have a lot of good marriages in this church. Some of you ladies just like, yes, yes, him right there. Yes, yes, it's him. And here's what God is addressing here. God is addressing how do you get that man who's not doing what he's supposed to do? who's not being the spiritual leader of the home to become the spiritual leader of the home. And he's given us some great instructions. He says, he says this, here's the phrase. Here's how you win them. And the word win, an amazing term. You know what it literally is? It's a gambling term. It literally refers to playing poker, playing your cards right. Notice it's talking about obedient men because obedient Christians don't gamble and play poker. Because there is a way that children of God ought to behave. You're not foreign in the church. It's almost like, seriously, we're not supposed to do that, Pastor? And, and no condemnation if you do, just change the behavior. I remember 15 years ago or so, we went on a cruise, and I was a pastor at the time. And um, I decided, well, I'm going to go in the casino, play a little blackjack. And, and on the inside, I'm thinking, I, I, I really shouldn't be doing this. I know I shouldn't be doing this. But I'm thinking, you know, it's not like I'm going to go in there and spend our mortgage money on it. I'm thinking, we're, we're here on vacation. We have some fun money, and I'll just have some, some fun at the blackjack table, you know. And so I sit down, and as soon as I sit down, the guy next to me doesn't say, hey, how are you? My name is so-and-so. What's your name? He says, what do you do for a living? I'm like, yeah, yo, I'm just checking out the cards, making sure nobody's cheating over here. See you all later. Right? And so God uses this, this poker term. Here's how you win them. Here's what he's literally saying. Ladies, here's how you play your cards right. If you have a guy that's not doing the what he's supposed to do, that is not obeying the Lord, here's how you play your cards right. And he specifically says, you don't pull out the ace of nagging. 
You, you don't pull it out. You don't, you don't, you don't throw it on the ta- table. You don't pull out the king of manipulation. You, you don't put that out. You don't, you don't throw down on the table the queen of pointing out exactly what he's doing that is wrong. He said, you don't do that. How many of you ladies notice that if you ever try to nag him to doing it, if you ever try to talk him into doing it, point out all his wrongs, that he doesn't get better, he gets worse. Right? And the reason why he gets worse is because of the way men are hardwired. Men are hardwired to fight. Right? They're, they're hardwired to defend themselves, to defend their turf, if you will. And here's what God is saying. God is saying, in order for you to, to get what you want from the person you're in a relationship with, you've got to understand how they're hardwired so that you can go about it in a way that is going to be effective, right? There, there's different ways to approach the same circumstances. Some ways don't produce any results, but other ways, if they're thought through, if they have the needs of the other person, the hardwiring of the other person in mind, they'll work. And so what he's saying is here, here's how you play your cards right. Instead of going at them, you pull out the wrong Royal straight flush of R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Find out what it means to me, right? You pull out the royal straight flush of respect. Now watch this. Here's what Peter really is at. If you read before what he's talking about, he's talking about situations where people are not being treated right. And he says, likewise, you wives. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, even when he doesn't deserve it, still treat him with respect. Now, let me put a caveat on, it, on this, right? I believe that there are certain things that completely cross the line, okay? And, 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 and if he does certain things that he doesn't need respect, he needs a beating. Is that okay for me to say in church? Like, for instance, like, it, and I almost used the scripture here um, bec- to show you how that Treating somebody with respect when they don't deserve it is a Christian principle. We all realize that, right? As a Christian, we don't go even for even. We don't go tit for tat. We don't do that, right? And I almost used the scripture that says, if he smites you on one cheek, turn to him the other cheek, right? But, but I didn't use that scripture in this context because if he smites you on one cheek, hit him with an iron, call the cops, or call your pops. Seriously, like here's my, you know, law changes. Here's one of the law changes that I recommend. Any man that strikes a woman, okay, what he should get is the law should be he gets tied up in a room on a chair and the father of the girl comes in and gets to beat him up until he's satisfied. Now, I I know I'm not supposed to be on the men today. So let me come back over here to the ladies. I'm talking about those guys that aren't their best, right? You know, they're they're rough around the edges, you know, those kinds of, they're not taking their spiritual place in their home, but you're not in jeopardy. You're not being physically abused. I'm talking about those guys. What do you do when you have those kind of guys who are not deserving, they're not earning respect, you still treat them with respect. That's what Peter is talking about here. And he's saying that That's how you win them. I want to share this little story with you about a famous preacher by the name of Smith Wigglesworth. That's a funny name, huh? Wigglesworth. Anyway, he was a famous preacher, lived a long time ago before smartphones and doorbells and all that kind of stuff. And and anyway, he was your typical kind of guy who wasn't obeying 
the word of God, wasn't walking in the things of God. His wife, which is typical of a lot of relationships, was the one who was leading spiritually. She was the one who was going to church, and she would ask him. He would never want to go, and she'd go to church on Sunday morning. She'd go to church on Sunday evening, and she'd go to midweek Bible study. And he was getting it up to here with this whole church thing. And so he finally said, if you go to church tonight, I'm locking you out. And so uh, she said, well, I'm going to church because the Bible says, submit yourselves onto your own husbands as onto the Lord. The Lord wouldn't tell you not to go to church, would he? And so there are some things when, you know, you, you, you need to do. If you, you can't pray, you need to pray. When, remember when the king said to Daniel, don't pray, what did Daniel do? He prayed. Right. And so um, and anyway, she says, well, I'm going to go to church anyway. And so she went to church and he went right after and he locked the door and then he fell asleep. And so she came home from church and she's knocking on the door and he fell asleep so he can't hear her. So she's locked out. She can't get in the house. And as the story goes, uh, she, they had a porch and it was kind of cold and she cuddled up against the front door and slept underneath the porch. At about four or five in the morning, he wakes up and it dawns on him, I locked her out. And he runs down the stairs to see where she is. He opens the door and she falls in because she was sleeping up against the door. And do you know what she did when she got up? She said, what would you like for breakfast, sweetheart? She made him pancakes. And do you know that was the turning point in his life? He went to church with her that next weekend. He gave his life to Jesus Christ that next weekend. He became one of the greatest pastors and one of the greatest preachers that the world has ever known. Because his wife showed him respect when he did not deserve it in any way, shape, or or form. Men have this need for a managed home. And for me, and, and I think what the Bible is teaching here is what this means is the temperature of the house, ladies. Is it an environment where he feels stress-free? Is it an environment where he feels respected? Men have this intrinsic need for a managed home. Second need that men have is the need for affirmation. Men pretend like they don't need the applause or the affirmation of their spouse, but they do. Matter of fact, Proverbs chapter 31, verse 10, listen to what it says to wives. It says, a wife of noble character who can find. She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good and not harm all the days of his life. How do you bring your husband good and not harm all the days of his life? Well, one of the ways you do it is by affirming him. And how do you know if your husband needs affirmation? A couple of ways. Number one, do you notice him coping? I'm going to read you a couple of excerpts from a psychology book because these people are more expert on this stuff than I am. So listen to what they say. If you notice a lot of tension in your home, if you notice a high level of frustration and anger in your husband's life, if you sense discouragement leading to passivity where he underachieves, if you notice an escapist mentality where he spends lots of free time playing computer games and watching sports, escaping home with excessive recreation, then more times than not, you're looking at a man who doesn't feel loved, appreciated, and respected. He's a man who is coping and not truly living, and men who merely cope never change. They just pass time. Is he coping? If he is, Needs affirmation. Second way you can tell if he needs affirmation is he stonewalling. 
Stonewalling describes how men shut down emotionally and verbally, ignoring you and essentially withdrawing from conversation. A stonewaller doesn't give you casual feedback. He tends to look away or down without uttering a sound. He sits like an impassive stone wall. The stonewaller acts as though he couldn't care less about what you're saying, even if he hears you. Usually people stonewall as a protection against feeling flooded. Flooding means your spouse's negativity is so overwhelming and so sudden that it leaves you shell-shocked. You feel so defenseless against the sniper attack that you learn to do anything to avoid a replay. The more often you feel flooded by your spouse's criticism and contempt, the more hypervigilant you are for cues that your spouse is about ready to blow again. All you can think about is protecting yourself from the turbulence your spouse's onslaught causes, and the way you do this is to disengage emotionally from the relationship. Now, let me let me kind of flesh out what that looks like. If a man attempts to talk but can't get a word in edgewise, guess what he does? Stops trying. Not gonna fight with you about it. Because he wants that stress free environment. And so, why doesn't my husband talk? Has he ever tried? And when he tries, can he, can he get his thoughts out there? He stonewalls. If he feels like he's constantly being put down, he just disengages. He, does, he doesn't want to. I know some men do. But he doesn't want to come home and have a battleground. And so he just retreats. And so a lot of times you're speaking and you get one-word answers. And, and go back to last week's message for the, the, the instruction I gave to men on that kind of stuff. But a lot of times the reason why men are disengaged is because they're, they're, they're protecting themselves against hearing criticism and and being put down and being mothered in a marriage relationship. A marriage relationship is not for mothering. Men have mothers. They're the ones that do the mothering. In a marriage relationship, you're his wife. You're his spouse. You're his helpmeet, which means the one that stands beside, not under the feet, but beside. You're in a team together, moving in the same direction. And so men will sometimes stonewall. So how do you prevent a man from stonewalling? Here's a tip. Focus on his strengths. Affirm the areas that he's good at. I want to tell you a little story about Bobby Kennedy and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Bobby Kennedy became the U.S. Attorney General at the time when civil rights had just kind of begun. It hadn't got off the ground yet. And the civil rights leaders were in despair because Bobby was an Irish Catholic conservative and and famously, in the words of most of the people from the civil rights movement, not interested in the civil rights movement. And, And they said, we knew we were in trouble. We were crestfallen in despair and we were talking to Martin and we were moaning and groaning about the turn of events of Bobby becoming the U.S. Attorney General. When Dr. King slammed his hands down and ordered us to stop complaining, enough of this, he said. Is there nobody here who's got something good to say about Bobby Kennedy? We said, Martin, that's what we're trying to tell you. There is no one. There is nothing good to say about him. This guy's an Irish Catholic conservative expletive. He's bad news. Dr. King understood this profoundly. Yet he looked at his fellow leaders and he said this. Well then, this meeting is called to a close. We will readjourn when somebody has found one thing redeeming to say about Bobby Kennedy because that, my friends, is the door through which our movement will pass. Now let me just stop there for a moment. What good advice in today's political environment from 
the founder, if you will, the chairperson, if you will, of the civil rights movement. I can tell you right now, Dr. King would not approve of the way we go after each other right now. No way, no have. I could see him slamming his fist down on the table, and he said, this meeting will be over until a person finds one good thing to say about the other party. Dr. King's plan worked. They discovered that Bobby Kennedy was a close friend to his bishop. They worked through his bishop so effectively that according to the same leader that once could not find a single positive thing to say about Kennedy, there was no greater friend, he said, to the civil rights movement than Bobby Kennedy. There was no one we owed more of our progress to than that man. Ladies, the door through which the husband of your dreams will pass is affirmation. That's how you bring him out. That's how he becomes everything that you want him to be. That's how he becomes everything that God wants him to be. A man who is not affirmed is not going to change. If you fight with a man, if you if you go toe-to-toe with a man, he's going to stick to his guns. He's going to be obstinate. He's going to be hard-headed. But if you affirm that man, that man will eventually become the man that God wants him to be. And so affirmation, number one, M, managed household. Number two, A, affirmation. Number three, R, and I'm going to give this one to you quick, recreational companionship. The third need that men have is recreational companionship. When I found this out, I kind of knew it, but I, I was kind of validated. Because every time I go somewhere, I would say to my wife, come on, honey, you want to come? Even though I'm going to the store, I want her to come along. I always want her to be with me. And, and here's what recreational companionship kind of boils down to is, is women need to, and again, go back to last week for the what men need to, women need to do something with your husband that he enjoys. Right? If he hates shopping, that's not recreational companionship for him. I can tell you where you can go shopping that he'll be happy to shop with you. That's in a little while, though. Just But recreational companionship. Do something that he likes. And if you really want to go out of your way, put on some sweats on Sunday afternoon, watch a football game with him. But please don't ask a lot of questions. Just watch, just watch the game. Recreational companionship. The last thing that I want to share with you, it's, it's the last need of a man. It begins with S, and it stands for men need sympathy. No, just kidding. You know I'm just kidding, right? The, the, S, the S stands for, listen carefully, it's not sex. It's sexual fulfillment. It's not sex. It's sexual fulfillment. Proverbs chapter 5, verse number 18. May your fountain be blessed. May you rejoice with the wife of your youth. In other words, the rejoicing is only for the wife. It's not for the girlfriend. It's not for the living person. Right? If we're Christians, we ought to behave ourselves differently than the world. God does not condone in any way, shape, or form shacking up. It is not practice for marriage. You don't find out shacking up if you're going to be compatible for marriage. Matter of fact, the statistics are overwhelming. Those people who shack up wind up having quicker divorces than people who date and get married. And so rejoice with the wife of your youth, a loving doe. Check this out, fellas. A graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you always. May you be ever captivated, captivated by her love. And all the men said, some of you for the first time in church right there. <laughs> men have this need for sexual 
fulfillment, which is totally different for men than, than sex. Men and women see sex differently. Matter of fact, I was listening to this one couple. They were talking to their therapist. I was reading about it. And the man said to the therapist, we hardly ever have sex, like three times a week max. And the woman said to the therapist, we're always having sex, like three times a week. And it just goes to show the difference between the way men and women view Sex, they have different perspectives. And so let's understand how men view sex. First of all, there's a biological reason why, generally speaking, men have a greater sex drive than women. Generally speaking. Now, to get you ladies to understand this, I need to ask you a question. When it's that time of the month, do you really have real things, real symptoms going on, or are you just faking? Ladies, are they real? If they're real, can I see your hands, ladies? Nobody faking the symptoms. You're not just trying to, you know, get an extra week where you can be however you want. We have to understand. No, it's not what it's all about. They're real symptoms. It's not demon possession. It's real symptoms at that time, right? Real symptoms going on. Well, we need to understand that, right? A good husband understands that. Gives his wife some grace when there are hormonal things that are going on that is causing responses that aren't ordinarily there. Well, did you know that there is a biological reason why men desire sex more than women? For instance, James Dobson says, when sexual response is blocked, males experience an accumulating physiological pressure which demands release. As maximum level is reached, hormonal influences sensitize the man to all sexual stimuli. Whereas a particular woman would be of little interest to him when he is satisfied, he may become aroused to be in the presence of her when he is in a state of deprivation. Interesting. What, 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 what we're learning right in this moment is there's a biological reason why men have a higher sex appetite than women. It's real. It needs to be understood. Second thing, for men there's a huge difference between sex and sexual fulfillment. And listen to this, ladies, because I'm about ready to give you a tip for how you can satisfy your husband's sexual desire on a less regular basis. Men seek sexual fulfillment, not just sex. Many women put it in the same category. Well, sex and sexual fulfillment, same thing. When a man is left sexually unfulfilled, it's when his wife says things like this. Oh, really again? I don't really feel like it. I'm really tired right now. But if I will, I will if you really want to. But can we hurry up and get this over with? Now, don't get me wrong. A man will take sex under those conditions because men are pigs. Right? But that will leave him totally sexually unfulfilled. And so the next day, the man will be like, can we have sex again? He'll be like, we just had a sex yesterday. But, but we weren't fulfilled yesterday. It would be like him saying to you when you want to have a conversation, he's holding up a paper. And you're like, can you at least move the paper down? And he's like, talk again? Really? We've already talked three times for five minutes each this particular week. Do we have to talk again? But if you really want me to, okay, let's talk. Are you ready to have that conversation with him, ladies? Or does that just be like, what, what's wrong with you? It's the same exact thing. There's a difference in men between sex and and sexual fulfillment. So let me give you a couple of tips, lady, for how to meet this need of your husband. Number one, be available. First Corinthians chapter seven, verse three says the husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, which by the way, is a whole nother discussion. 
I've counseled with enough people to know that there are some men who are not fulfilling their wife's sexual needs. And, and that needs to be dealt with as well. So the husband needs to fulfill the wife's sexual needs. And watch this, the next portion of the verse. And the wife should fulfill her husband's sexual needs. A wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to the wife. What does this mean, give authority over your body to your spouse? It means I am entrusting you with the most vulnerable thing that I can give you, so don't treat me like I don't want to be treated. Oh, my God, that was so good. See, when somebody yields authority to you, you have a responsibility in assuming that authority to be protective with that authority. Authority never abuses, this, this is gold right here. Authority never abuses the person who submits their authority to them. Amen? Watch this. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband. The husband gives authority over his body to the wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so that you can give yourselves completely to prayer. Now, underline the phrase limited time. Underline that in your Bible. I looked it up in the Greek. You know what it means? Less than 24 hours. Just a joke. I'm just kidding. Y'all are like, seriously, Pastor? Yo, that's pretty good. No, I'm just kidding. Watch this. Afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. A couple of tidbits to being available. Number one, no should be the exception rather than the rule. If no is the rule in your life, in your marriage relationship, there's something wrong with your marriage relationship. It needs to be fixed. If you can't fix it on, on your own after trying for so many years and it's still broken, here's what you need to do. You need to get some help. The shame of a marriage that disintegrates is a marriage that doesn't ask for help, that thinks that they can fix it all on their own. Listen, everybody experiences the same kind of struggles, usually in marriage. It's those that go for help that can get hurdled or make a hurdle over those things. Second tip for being available is prayer is important to being available. Notice it says that Agree to abstain for a limited time. I'm glad about that limited time. Limited time to give yourselves to prayer. Did you know that it's proven that that women who pray, who are married women who pray, have more fulfilling sexual lives with their husband than women who don't pray? Do you know why? Because when you pray, what are you doing? You're submitting yourselves onto the Lord. When a man prays on a regular basis, he becomes a better husband. When a woman prays on a better a regular basis, she becomes a better wife. So a tip to being available is be prayerful. Have a regular prayer life. Listen to what Lisa Turks, who wrote the great book, Captures Heart, said about saying no. She said, if she says no, it hurts physically and emotionally. Physically because it opens him up to a world of temptation when his sexual needs are not met regularly. Emotionally, because he seeks to aggressively prove he has what it takes in other areas of life to make up for the lack of intimate approval. Now, ultimately, we are all responsible for falling into temptation ourselves, right? We can't, can't blame that on anybody, right? We have to take ownership of that. But, 
In a marriage relationship, there are certain things that happen that protect us from falling into temptation. Certain things that if they don't happen, aid in our falling into temptation. And we need to realize that that is very, very, very real. And so if we care about each other, if we are willing to assume the roles that God has given to us, then we will seek to meet the needs of our spouse in any area where they have a need, so long as it is, is, it's a godly need. Tip, another tip, second tip. Renew your mind, or maybe third or fourth tip. Renew your mind to God's word concerning sex. That's how you become available. A lot of the reason why some people are not available in marriage is because there was sexual perversion prior to marriage. See, we don't, we don't call sex outside of marriage perversion. It's, the Bible actually calls it fornication. It's not, it's sex and fornication are not the same things. Sex is one man, one woman in the confines of marriage. That's sex. Anything outside of that, the Bible calls it fornication. And we need to hear it for what it is because we get so messed up when we have sex outside of God's context, our mind gets distorted about it. Our experience gets distorted about it. It gets related to hurts and pains and I shouldn't have and I wish I would have had a, 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 a better a better ability to withstand and I, I wish I wouldn't have done that and all these things and then you carry that into the marriage relationship where it is supposed to be something that you enjoy and all that baggage begins to influence the marriage relationship. And so we need to reprogram our mind when it comes to what the world has taught us about fornication and learn what God says about sex. Sex is not a marital duty. It's a marital blessing. Don't approach it as a have to. Approach it as a, as a get to. Sex does not represent a conquest It's representative of a lifelong covenant. This whole deal, you know, you you have sex with somebody, you come out and you high-five your buddies. Dude, what's that about? That's that's perversion. That's That's not what God teaches. Sex is not a substitute for verbal communication. It's an outgrowth of verbal communication. Sex should not be used to overcome feelings of insecurity, but as an expression of absolute trust and vulnerability. It's not, if you're insecure, you don't get secure by just sleeping with somebody. You know what that just sleeping with anybody, if you're insecure, is going to do? It's going to make you feel worse about yourself, not better about yourself. Sex should not be used to get someone to love you. It should be experienced between two people who have proved their love for one another by, in the words of the prophet Beyonce, putting a ring on it. Sex is, sex is proving. It's a proof. It's an outgrowth of love that has been tested, love that has been tried, love that is secure, love that knows it wants to spend the rest. Don't ever have sex before you are absolutely certain you want to spend the rest of your life with somebody, and you don't know that you want to spend the rest of your life with somebody until you've seen somebody in the good, the bad, and the ugly. That's why you can't date for one month and get married. This is good stuff right here. I mean, you're getting this for free. If you're a good Christian, it costs you 10%, but you understand what I'm talking about. You got to renew your mind. Renew your mind. Tip, 
How do you make yourself available? You focus on his strengths and not his weaknesses, right? Ladies, you know that the biggest sex organ in your body is your brain. If you're constantly focusing on his weakness, his weakness, his weakness, his weakness, you will not be available. So tip number one, make yourself available. Tip number two, be aggressive but not crazy aggressive. And we're talking about marriage relationship. Aggressive. Dating relationship, ladies, pull it back. Right? I believe, it's good advice, in a dating relationship, he needs to be the one who chases. Right? If you chase, there's a word for that. Thirsty. Right? Um, so, so in a dating relationship, you've got to be, let him do the chasing. In a marriage relationship, both a husband and a wife need to be initiators. I hear from all men all the time, if I don't initiate, we'll never have sex. And, and this, makes, this makes a man feel a certain kind of way. Feel as though, you know, men, men, we have stuff happen to us over time too, you know. You're not the only ones who look in the mirror and go, I can't believe what happened to my youth. Men look at themselves sometimes and go, oh my goodness, what is going on over here? Men need to feel like they are, they are, they are handsome, like they are attractive in the eyes of their spouse. So be aggressive. Tip number three, be innovative. Watch this, Song of Songs, chapter 4, verse 11. Your lips drop sweetness as the honeycomb, my bride. Milk and honey are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like that of Lebanon. This word garments, very interesting in the Hebrew. It, it means Victoria's Secrets. <laughs> Seriously, that's a fact right there. It really does. Here, here's, here's my point. Here's my point. Men, men are visual. Men are visual, right? This is why before when I was talking about it says don't let it just be the makeup and the fixing of the hair and all that, that it needs to be some of that as well. Now, a good man, right, will tell his wife that she's beautiful whether she's got makeup on or makeup off, right? A good man will compliment his wife um, not just when she goes out of her way to look beautiful. And by the way, if she goes out of her way to look beautiful, say something about it. Hello, right? You know, she goes, make herself look beautiful, and you just take it for granted that, you know, she dressed up nice and fixed herself and all that kind of stuff, and then you expect her to do more of it? Well, you didn't appreciate her the first time. Why should she continue to do more of it? I know I shouldn't be on the men right now. Coming back to the ladies. Men are visual. And so because men are visual, what we need to do is, ladies, you need to make yourself visually appealing to your husband. I want to end with a little story. And by the way, ladies, let me just say this. It's okay to sometimes, you know, the, the flannel PJs, you know, there's a place for that. It's called the fireplace. Um, <laughs> let me read you a little story as we close. Kind of surmises or wraps up what it means to be the kind of wife that God has called you to be. In the 12th century, the vast wealth of the Weinsberg Castle lay in peril. Enemy forces besieged the stone fortress and threatened the riches that laid within. The inhabitants stood no chance of defending themselves against such a vast army. And the opposing forces demanded a full and complete surrender. If the occupants would agree to give up their wealth and the men would agree to give up their lives, then the women and children would be spared. After consultation, the women of the Weinsberg Castle asked for one provision. They asked to leave with as many possessions as they could carry. If the opposing forces would agree to this one request, the men would inside lay down their arms and hand over the castle riches. 
Fully aware of the wealth and riches loaded within the castle, the enemy forces agreed. After all, how much could these women take? Finally, the castle gates opened, and the sight that emerged elicited tears from the most calloused soldiers. Every woman carried her husband out on her back. You know, there's an old saying. It's true. doesn't make me feel like less of a man. Behind every great man is a great woman. And here's what it means. When you're in a marriage relationship, we need each other. We need each other to be the best that we can possibly be. It is impossible to be in a marriage relationship that is not healthy and be your best. It's impossible to be in a marriage relationship where there is constant problems and an environment that is constantly unrestful and constantly uh, argumentative where you can be your best. That's why God even says that if you can't manage your home, you have no business running his house. He realizes the impact that the marriage relationship has. And I just want to say as a man, ladies, we need you. We need you in every way. Sometimes you need to carry us. And sometimes, men, we need to realize how much we need our wives and let them know how much we need them, how much they're appreciated. And my prayer for us in this church is that we would take the last two weeks and not just let these messages pass. Matter of fact, here's my challenge to each of you. Go to the website today. Ladies, download last week's message. Her name is Venus. Listen to that over and over and over and over again until you begin to become that. I mean, men. Men, listen to Venus. Until you begin to come, become that. Ladies, go home and download today's message. Don't do it the other way. Men, don't, don't listen to this message over and over again. Ladies, don't listen to last week's message over and over again. You need to be what your spouse needs you to be. And I promise you that if you'll just be conscious and say, you know what? I'm going to strive to be this. This is who God has asked me to be. This is the role God has given me. That you will find that your marriage will get closer and closer and closer together. Your relationship with God will get stronger and stronger and stronger. And your family will get healthier and healthier and healthier. And marriage won't be that living hell that so many people think it is. It will be a taste of heaven on earth because that is what marriage is supposed to be. Amen. Would you stand to your feet?